Jonathan Hicks. He's the next dealer that we asked to provide some insights and best practices to an acquire anywhere strategy. Jonathan Hicks is a used vehicle inventory director of import stores at the Bob Johnson Auto Group. Jonathan, maybe we could start with you providing a little bit of background about you, the group, and then we'll move into the acquire anywhere strategy conversation. Micah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've been in the industry for going on 17 years. I started out as a lot of tenant, uh, opportunity to be a buyer uh, for a good chunk of my career. I was the sales manager, and now I get to uh, help lead a team uh, in acquisitions uh, for Bob Johnson Automotive Group in Rochester, New York. Um, we're one of the largest groups in New York State, uh, and it's been a pleasure uh, being a part of this team for as long as I have. And maybe just laying the groundwork a little bit, can you talk a, a bit about over the last year and a half, the changes that you've seen in the market and how that's influenced your need to, as you mentioned, look anywhere to acquire cars and less of a, of a auction reliance? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we do have to look pretty much anywhere and everywhere to try and get the right inventory for us, right? So uh, we use um, inventory management tools like the auto to help us look at what are working in our marketplace. Um, we do some internal um, documents that we look at to see how well are we doing with those particular models. And then we create like a hit list to try and source those cars, right? So um, all of our sales managers and team leaders have that hit list so that they know what cars to step up on, go for a little bit further um, when a customer is potentially trading it in. Same with my buyers. And then we're also a um, Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer uh, partner. Um, and so what vehicles that are coming in, can we um, be a little bit more aggressive on uh, than maybe what some of the other tools are saying? That, that articulation of strategy, I think is so important as we look to acquire inventory. And it sounds like you have really built a very clear strategy of how you need to acquire cars, working off the, your, your stocking strategy. Can you talk, walk through that a little bit and just kind of explain how you approach that and how you look at it because I think it's really one of the key elements that can sometimes be overlooked in determining what vehicle you need to bring in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know there's seasonality to things, so we need to keep that into, into factor. So we need to look at previous years and what we've done, um, but we also know that that that's can be fluid, right? So this past year, year and a half, that's changed quite a bit. Buying trends have changed, right? So we traditionally would have those back to school times uh, that we maybe didn't run through this year or got delayed. Um, and so trying to figure out, okay, how is um, what's going on outside of the business going to impact our business and the traffic? Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, factors, right? So it'll, it'll say that, hey, historically, this car has moved at this rate. Well, is that going to change? You know, because some of these tools are rear view mirror. So we have to forecast ahead. And do we think that's going to continue or not? Um, and, and you have to pull from a lot of different things. So we have to look at, okay, the market is saying that we're going to sell so many of these cars in so much time based on the previous 45 days. Uh, we can agree with that or not. And then we have to pivot and adjust accordingly. Right. So, okay, we're going into sports car season, right? We don't need to maybe stack up as many, but we need to be playing that space um, and, and look at what have we done historically? And do we think that, um, extra money in the market, if there is some, is going to be spent on those items or is it going to be spent somewhere else, right? We see a lot of people spending money in home improvements and stuff like that. So you're all competing for similar dollars out yeah. there and trying to make sure that we're um, positioning our inventory appropriately is certainly a challenge. Um, ICO has been a, has been a big help 
um, because we see a lot of people shifting, right, to wanting to not come into the store, wanting to get that information before coming in um, and having that second voice and that validator um, has been a big, big key for us. That's a really good segue talking about the way the consumer desire to interact with the dealer and get that traded information. I, th I think it's an interesting segue because we've set up practices in our deal, best practices in our dealership, and we've been able to maintain those best practices for a long time. And now suddenly there's a rapid change in the market in the last year and a half. So can you talk a little bit about what you would consider best practice and how you guys have seen success setting up your acquisition teams, particularly on the consumer facing side, what the structure is, you have dedicated staff, are you running out of a BDC? Can you talk a bit about the structure that you use? Sure, yeah, so we have a couple different structures, right? So I have a couple of internal buyers that, that source cars uh, specifically from the auctions. Um, whichever ones they may be. And I think that's a different outlook than maybe the sales manager team leader um, that is in heavily involved in purchasing cars from um, consumers, right? So we, we do a lot of curb, we call a curb, which would be a one-way transaction, right? They're buying a car, we're, sorry, they're selling a car to us, we're buying one from them and they're not buying one in return. Um, and then there's the trade-in piece. So that person's doing the same, right? So whether they're getting a trade-in or they're buying that car specifically from somebody uh, without anything being reciprocated in return, um, that's with the, the separate individual. So our ICO process, right, our Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer, um, they submit a lead, right? Our BDC touches base with that consumer, see if there's any additional information um, or questions, right, that they may have about that offer. Um, and then if there is some questions, then we turn them over essentially to a um, product specialist that knows that inventory and what we're, our hit list is uh, to try and take a little bit further and doing that virtually, right? So we do that without the customer having to come in, right? We, we would, mm -hmm. if, if the customer can provide us with photos, right? It takes a little bit further um, in the process, right? You think that there may be a little bit more serious or a little bit closer to that transaction and wanting to get a more um, uh, specific value versus a range, right? Because it, there are a lot of things that go into a condition being one of them, right? So I grew up and I lived through the um, the condition report phases uh, when those started coming out in the early days mm -hmm. of the auction time. I used to walk the cars the day before, make my list, and then I would see some gentleman just show up the next day and beat me on, you know, half the cars. And you know, what did he walk them or not? Well, he took a lot of faith and trust in the in the condition report. So we, we've lived through those experiences, and I think that um, we have to bring that into the store a little bit, right? So we have to be able to trust what a customer is saying to an extent. We're, we're verifying that condition when it comes in. You're not blindly saying, I'll pay you so much money for a car. Um, you know, there are outside factors that weigh in on these things, condition being one of them. Um, if someone didn't enter in that the car had navigation and it was an option that year, well, that certainly is a positive impact that we would want to extend. To the customer. So um, we try to give that uh, as much information and be uh, bold and confident in our offer because um, we do understand that people are shopping. We, you have kind of one shot. Um, so you need to be aggressive as possible because you could get beat out pretty quickly. Um, it could be for $100. That, that comment of $100 is interesting because a lot of consumers are finding something under $500 to be a key decision maker on whether they consider it a good price or not a good price for their vehicle. And one of the things that 
I found really interesting what you, you said, and I think it's an interesting idea is to, it sounds like you guys are kind of proactively going out to these customers who are showing interest in trading in their vehicle, whether it's a cash trade and as you're talking about those curb or it's a, a trade in to acquire another vehicle. It sounds like you guys are doing a little preemptive work and reaching out to them even before they come into the dealership. Um, what percentage of the time do you think that you're able to do that? And what are some of the, the best practices or processes that you use to help them build that confidence, help you guys also build more confidence in pricing the vehicle before the customer shows up? Sure. I, I wish I could give you a specific uh, percentage on how well that was working. Um, but I do know that um, customers want to have more um, questions answered before they come in. You know, no one likes surprises. And so taking that extra time to make sure that we are getting the condition down properly um, and getting that number to um, a more absolute than an open-ended thing is a big, big deal. So with everything going on with pandemic and people wanting to be socially distanced and, and being a little more concerned of coming into a traditional store to get a number, um, being confident and giving as much as you possibly can from the beginning is, is very important and getting that buy-in from the customer that these things do matter. I think, um, you know, having a detailed list of asking questions about brakes and tires when was the last time it was serviced, right? Uh, you know, Carfax and those types of um, products only tell so much of the story. Mm -hmm. So trying to get all that in there to make sure you give them as much as you possibly can. Um, and then you have to have a good follow-up process uh, as well to make sure that, um, you know, people are out shopping and you want to still, you know, win that vehicle. I like that you're talking about process because you can't um, create KPIs and measure against something that you're, you're not tracking. And I like that you're talking about touching with that customer before they enter the store with a process. And then you have that walkthrough process when they walk in. So when your teams reach out, help confirm the condition, schedule a time for the, the customer to come in and have you guys take a look at the car, what's that next step of the process look like with the handoff? Is it, is it that same specialist, but they hand them off to someone else? Can you provide some insight on you know, the second stage of that process that you guys have built? Sure. Um, the customer, we would hand them off right to a product specialist, which is probably the same person that has been on with the phone with them, right? So they started with our BDC agent. The, the lead was generated. We want to have quick contact turnaround time to make sure that the customer knows that we're interested in what they have to provide. Um, and then if there's additional questions, yes, we turn them over to a product specialist. They would then meet with that product specialist um, to review the condition of the car based on what they described on the phone. And if everything was as described, then we would move ahead in, in purchasing that car with them um, in person, right? So um, we're not at the stage where we're going and buying a car offsite from someone. Um, they are still coming in um, and getting familiar with our brand as a dealership. You know, we still have service centers, right? We still have other products we have to sell. They may not need a car right now to buy, but we want to certainly be top of mind and make sure that we're there to provide uh, for them when they want to sell their car as much as we are when they want to buy one. That's an interesting point that you're touching on because we are seeing more consumers in the market who are selling a vehicle and not necessarily acquiring. And it's not a, a large percentage uptick, but I do think there's a lot of value in what you're saying and ensuring that that customer comes in and still gets that marketing footprint of the dealership, gets that understanding of what the, the Bob Johnson group offers, why there's value in coming in. And I, I love how you guys close the loop with the, the store and, and the footprint. I think that's really a, a, a clever approach. 
And one of the things I think is really interesting about what you're talking about is you guys have stood up a really strong process and are seeing tremendous results in acquiring customer vehicles. One of the things that always intrigues me then is once you have all those processes built, how does your team manage to those processes? How do What sort of KPIs do you have or what review structures do you have in place to understand how well you guys are doing and where you might be able to improve? It, it's fluid. We have to be talking about it pretty frequently, right? Because the market's ever changing. You know, we, we experienced that, um, you know, in the springtime, right? We were buying a car. Mm -hmm. Three weeks later, that car's worth thousands more. Could be a week later, that car's worth thousands more. So there's a lot of review um, that we have to go through and realizing that whatever our, our KPIs are, whatever we are measuring needs to be a little fluid. Hey, guys, we have to tighten up our follow-up process. We need to make sure that we're getting second opinions right on a trade-in so or even third. So if, if we are a sales manager on the desk, we're appraising a car, we need to touch base with someone else in the company to make sure that we're seeing and reviewing this vehicle the same because we don't want to miss those opportunities. And a, and a Kelly Blue Book instant cash offer is essentially a third voice, right? So that customer may have filled that out beforehand or they're being introduced to it in the store um, as a second, you know, a second opinion, or in this case, a third opinion uh, on what that vehicle's uh, value is. Um, you know, uh, you know, time and time again, uh, customers want to be validated that their research and what they've what they've looked at is is true, right? So it's it's good to have partners like Kelly Blue Book and there's other ones out there, right? That help do that. That say that Mr. And Mrs. Smith, this vehicle is indeed worth that in the marketplace, and it's not just an, a a feeling, right, from a sales manager, right? So it's good to have that. Um, kind of keeps the emotional piece in check. Yeah, there's that behavioral economics endowment effect where everybody thinks that what they have is more valuable than whatever else is out there. And that process of walking through those other opinions and using that third party opinion, I think really helps in that process. I, I, I really like the way you phrase that. And it sounds like you have really built a team that's fairly focused on the customer acquisition side. So could you give us a brief outline of kind of how you balance customer acquisition versus auction purchases? Is it the same? Is it the same group following up on that? Do you have them split out? Can you give us a bit of an outline on how you've set that up? We do have it broken out. Um, so we have an internal buying team uh, and, and a liquidator, um, and so their responsibility is to try and uh, hunt right for those vehicles that we know we do well with. Um, and they live by a certain um, metrics or, or guidelines on how much they can pay for a certain vehicle, what the profit objective needs to be on that vehicle and be dialed in. If the money and the data works, then they buy the car and they win the car. If it doesn't, it doesn't, right? We, we can be pretty cut and dry when it comes to that. It's a different approach when you have a customer, there's, there's more, it's more delicate process, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have to take more time to explain to a customer why uh, the vehicle may be worth what it is in the marketplace um, and, and maybe what your strategy is with the vehicle. You know, I love talking with that with customers. Um, this vehicle does fit our inventory needs and, and will work great for us. We'd love to acquire it. This vehicle may not, but doesn't mean I don't want your car. I still want your car. I still want to help you facilitate a transaction. Um, and these are the, the key things that come into play in that value, but we do have it broken out because I think there is a different um, skill set for the person-to-person um, -person interaction and, and building value and only the process and our company 
but the vehicle's value versus the uh, the guy that goes to the auction and buys the car. It's just a different process, a different outlook. Um, you have to look at a lot of cars to win a couple. Um, you look at a lot less cars in the store to win, right? You, your win percentage in store is a lot higher. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that we see frequently is a look to book is a lot higher for customers that are coming in because you know, they've obviously expressed a desire to, to sell that inventory. So one of the reasons that we asked you to come on is because you guys have really been setting the standard of how to go about this. And we're kind of asking you to describe some best practices. So I'm not going to ask you to give away any of the secret sauce, anything that's going to be a competitive advantage to anybody else. But from what you are able to share, could you explain a little bit of how you view uh, pay plans and incentivizing since there is such a difference as you're talking about between acquiring those two different types of vehicles, auction or consumer. Can you talk a little bit about how you view setting up a play plan to ensure that it's a, it's aligned and fair to both the, the person working and to the dealership. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think it's understanding what is the goal. Are we on the same page and get everyone in alignment? Right. So um, I grew up, uh, I've, I've worn a lot of different hats in a dealer world. So I started out as a lot attendant. Uh, I was a buyer and a sales manager, and now I get to um, help run a team of buyers and liquidator. Um, so I think that's helped in understanding some of the areas that are concerning being a buyer, right? Do I have air cover from my superior uh, to buy this car, right? This will, if I'm going to the auction and sourcing a car, right? Um, can I is it okay to live on that small of a margin, right? Because we know those cars are compressed, right? Um, and what is the dealership's goal, right? So we want a lot of plate frames on the road. We want to service customers long-term. We may be okay if it's a fast turn, a small front-end gross, because we know there's a back-end component. Maybe they buy some products, um, like a vehicle service contract and things mm -hmm. like that. So we've updated that uh, more recently in the last year for our buyers uh, to be able to come in alignment with that so that they are able to acquire cars that turn quicker, that have a smaller front end, um, but they will be compensated for any back end uh, that it's produced as well. So um, there's a base salary for those guys as well. So that takes some of the um, risk out of it for them, but also lets them partner less. And if it does go backwards, we do lose. You also participate in that loss as well. Um, so trying to really bring them alongside and making sure our goals are focused and going in the same direction. Um, I don't want someone passing over a car because it didn't make them enough money mm -hmm. right on the front end, right? So, so we tweaked some of that stuff and it seemed to have really helped us a lot. Um, and same with the sales managers, team leaders that we have, um, you know, they're, they have goals, uh, you know, there's a production based goal for them as well. And getting so many units out, not just a gross component, right? So it pushes you every year and every month to, to strive a little bit harder, um, not just in the gross area. So we've made some of those tweaks that seem to have really helped in getting us in alignment, um, that are, you know, we are doing what also the owners are wanting us to do and um, what they think is important, not just one facet. I keep hearing you say two words that I'd love to hear anyone say, which is alignment and strategy. That need to get everybody on the same page and make sure it fits to the strategy of the dealership um, and the acquisition strategy of the dealership is, is essential. And as we're talking about best practices, could you talk a little bit about what pitfalls people should watch out for. And in a minute, I'll ask you to also talk about areas you see as, you know, you should really go after, but what are the pitfalls that you could help someone else avoid 
um, as they're really getting after the acquisition of cars from consumers. I think the emotional piece, right? So getting your emotions in check, you know, why are you making this decision? Why are you making this investment? Um, you know, by and large, that's what we're, we are doing on a daily basis is we're, we're day trading metal, right? So we're, we're, if there's an arbitrage there that we're trying to figure out in the market and how can we make a little bit of money doing that a lot of times. Um, so it's, I think, checking your emotions, right? The times I got hurt the most were probably some of the times that uh, my emotions got the best of me and I felt like I had to have the car. Um, I've also won big on those, but so, you know, you got to just dial it in and kind of rein it in and say, okay, um, let's take the highs and lows and bring it into a center, right? The pendulum swings from one side to the other and just trying to live closer to a dead center uh, helps out a lot. So I think the emotional piece, why are you making the decisions? And then, you know, are we making sure we're being clear with what our goals are and then how does everyone fall in alignment with, with those goals? You know, I'm, I'm okay with a guy not buying a car at an auction for a day because that, that's what I'm paying him to do is make wise choices, wise investments. So I need to be able to support him when that happens because that's tough too, right? The drive home is tough or, or, or closing your computer at the end of the day is tough if you didn't source a car. Mm -hmm. um, same with the sales manager. It's, it's okay. They're, you're not going to get them all. We're not going to have 100% look to book even though I'd love to have it. Um, we, we have to draw the line somewhere and, and that's okay. I love that. Take the emotions out of it and stick to the strategy. Uh, that's that back to that air cover thing you talked about before where setting that strategy gives me the air cover to come back and say, Jonathan, I didn't buy anything today because it didn't fit the strategy that I think that's such a good, you know, lookout when we're talking about setting this up. So on the flip side, then. What are the things where if you were to, to tell a dealer as you're setting this up, these th one or two or three key things you have to do, um, what would you suggest are the, the key drivers to, to success for someone if they're, if they're looking to you for some advice? I think being clear with what those goals are, so taking some time to define them, right? So what is our target look to book for the group? What is our um, gross percentage um, targets, right? when can we break those rules um you know those you have to have clear defining things because if you don't it, you, you kind of are ruled by your emotions um and it, it's okay if the strategy gets broken or it didn't work out you got to adjust it um it, you know it doesn't have to be set in stone uh for forever but it should be for a little bit of time so i think it's just a matter of being clear with what your expectations are is a big piece of it and then what are the you know top three things that are important to your store you know, you one store want, may want a ton of plate frames on the road and, and want to go for tons of volume and another store may want to gross more, right? So there's different strategies in there and how to acquire that. Um, or some guy wants to be a blend of the both, right? I think that's the ideal situation is I want to make money and have a lot of plate frames on the road. Um, but being clear with, okay, how are we doing that? And are we upholding the process? Um, and are we doing it the right way? Because there's ways to cut corners, right? So, hey, we need to dial this in, guys. Um, you know, I used to fall in this pitfall myself where when I was sitting on a desk, uh, I wasn't very great at uh, disclosing or coming up with why the vehicle is worth it. So I would pay too much for, for a car, right? My emotions would get the best of me. Um, so really focusing on, okay, your look to book may be X, um, but are we doing it the right way? Are we paying too much? Because your cost to market is through the roof, right? Yeah. You, you got to work on the delivery piece of it. Um, there's just so many pieces to, to that. Um, 
but I, I would say, you know, in terms of advice, it would just be be clear with what your goals are uh, for the year, not just the month, and and try and forecast out. Okay, how are we going to do that? Once we've set it, we can we can um, uh, what's it backfill right the mm. the target. Um, okay, great. We got to get a hundred cars. How are we going to do it? Let's break it down. How are we measuring it? Are we on pace? Are we not on pace? It's just being clear. I think is the big one. That's really solid advice. And I want to ask you for one more piece of advice. And this is more of looking out into the future and a little prognostication. So over the last two and a half years, we've seen unprecedented change with COVID and inventory shortages, record high MMRs. But if we go back farther, you know, five, six years, even now, we're seeing a movement to much more of a digital retailing experience. So can you give me a little bit of your point of view on how having that acquire anywhere, that balanced inventory acquisition strategy, how that prepares you for a more um, unstable world, a world with more unknowns? I think you have to take a step back and understand what, you know, what is your um, market, right? Where, where are you trying to service? Am I trying to be the largest in the nation with used cars? Am I trying to be, you know, own Rochester, New York? Am I trying to own New York itself? You know, what are the overall end all goals? Cause you have to back in from there. Um, you know, what is that market doing? Right? I may be selling a car less expensive in Rochester, New York, than I may, than it may be in, uh, Dallas, Texas, but is someone really willing to fly that far to buy my car, right? Maybe, maybe not, just depends on on the vehicle. Um, but, you know, I think you have to live within um, whatever your design market is. You know, you know, there will be people that will find your cars that will fly, will drive because they, but how many did they go past to get yours, right? It's always interesting to me to think through that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I don't want to be the cheapest. I want to be the best value. Um, and the value always isn't necessarily in the price. It may be in the treatment and how um, transparent we can be. Um, so I, I don't know if that really answers your question all that well, um, but it, it is an interesting time, that's for sure. Jonathan, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and for providing some of the insights of what is causing your store to see such success around the acquire anywhere strategy of, of purchasing cars from consumers. Really appreciate the time and appreciate the insights. Thank you for having me, Micah. It's been my pleasure.